Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. That was so serious. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. <laughs> I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, let America vote. Voter suppression, redistricting, and a bunch of shady dealings by the Tito administration. Across the ocean in Ireland, efforts are underway to get more women elected to office. We also talk about meal kits, cooking, and gendered expectations in the kitchen, and Amina breaks down what is going on with Black China and the Kardashians now. Um, announcements. Pa, 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 pa. <laughs> um, I like how every week I make a new noise. Oh my God. Okay. Announcements. So soon we're going to be doing live shows in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia. The early show in Brooklyn is sold out, but we have a late night edition, which is a totally different show from the earlier show on the 15th. CYG After Dark. It's going to be really sexy and funny. Well, I don't know if it's going to be sexy, but it'll definitely be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe I'll I'll wear a chemise. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) Maybe we'll have a really sexy guest. Who knows? We'll keep you guessing. Yeah, I think it's going to be super fun. Yeah, so there are tickets to that late show, and then there are still a couple of Philly tickets left the following afternoon uh, right around happy hour time at uh, the Trocadero July 16th so if you go to callyourgirlfriend.com slash events you can make sure you won't miss out also Anne I heard that you were on PBS this week oh my god my mom heard from like a friend of hers and there's no way to please Midwestern parents more than for them to hear from their friend that you were on PBS but um, (laughs) yeah I also got more emails from old men than for anything I've ever done most of them not mean. So I was like, oh, PBS, best audience. <laughs> That's the best. I'm so happy for you. Also, I'm happy for me because the cover art that they use is like, I'm on it. And so I'm like, oh, this is the best kind of credit. I was like, thanks for being a good work wife. They were like, we need some flattering stills. And I'm like, hmm, they're all of me with Amina. <laughs> Interesting that you should ask. (laughs) I know. People keep telling me that they saw me on PBS. Love it. And I was like, bitch, I've been on PBS. (laughs) Cute. It's made me me very happy. You look super cute. Thanks, boo-boo. Announcements out. (laughs) Announcements out. Why comes I have the giggles today? I don't know. I've just been useless. I mean, short week giggles. That's what's going on. Yo, it's it's hard out here for a pimp lady. (laughs) Too much holiday weekend partying. Too much beach. Too much like living well. Um, you know, since it's our first Independence Day without a real president, that's like been really tough. But <laughs> and, <laughs> other than that, I'm fine. In- independence, like in the worst possible sense. Like, oh my God, it's just like descending into anarchy out here. Yeah, but also like, let's be real. Like Fourth of July is like, you know, it's like national cookout, pick out a cute outfit kind of day. It's not really... It does not mean the same thing to a lot of people. I know. For me, it really is the beginning of cookout season. I don't know why. It's like I kind of forget how great cookouts are until 4th of July every year. And then I'm like, oh, right. Got to rotate this into my life again. (laughs) 
It's that hot dog aroma wafting in the air. Oh my God. Even though like I don't like love hot dogs, I smell them and then I'm like, oh, this could be pleasant. And then I don't partake. Can I tell you about an incident involving a veggie sausage at my 4th of July cookout this year? <laughs> Disgusting. Tell me everything. Um, the, the person who was in charge of the grill was under the impression that these field roast veggie sausages just had like a very sort of thick casing on them when in fact <laughs> when in fact it was just plastic in direct contact with the grill like melting off it's like no. you got to unsheath the veggie meat like you really like before you put it on the grill also california cookouts 50% non-meat products 50% meat products it was great <laughs> it's crazy what did we do like yeah i went to the beach with Shawnee, who like has like really revolutionized my life at the beach. She invested in like a tent and some beach chairs. What? And we were those people. And we were like those people at the beach. <laughs> and those people had the best fucking time at the beach. Like have, getting to choose between shade and no shade. And our cooler was like not under attack. Everything was amazing. And then she sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal about how like some beaches are already banning tents. And I was what? like over my dead body. Over my dead body. Now that I like live well at the beach, like I refuse to go back. The idea too of just like recreating the most comfortable situation in any public space. I love it. Like take up all that space on the beach. (laughs) Way to go. But now, yeah, now we're like all paying the price for it. I know. It's true. I had like a multiple, I I didn't have like a hangover too much party hangover, but I had like a, a day drinking hangover. You know what I mean? Welcome back to reality. Too much fun. Too much fireworks. <laughs> uh, what have we missed in the real news? Girl, what have we not missed in the real news? <laughs> you know, it was... This this week has been, like, a lot because North Korea is definitely trying to get us out the paint, like, no matter what. And then having, like, the president tweet garbage at them was, like, that was not reassuring. I was, like, I'm trying to dip into this ocean and have a good time, but also I'm keeping one eye on the sky for those ICBMs. Like, this is crazy. I mean, there is no holiday from the president tweeting absolute, like, dribble that could possibly start a war. I know. Can I tell you, though, that he finally tweeted one thing that shocked me? His, like, WWE or F whatever wrestling meme. Oh my God. With like feud with CNN. That was the first time that I was like truly shocked. Like our president is for real, like a real housewife. This is crazy. I know, but it was also one of those things like when your parents misuse what a meme really is or something like that, where I'm like, I see what you're trying to do. Like I see the warfare you're trying to engage in and it didn't work. And yet it was still so disturbing. Like that's kind of how I felt. About I know. That. I would like, I mean, it cleared the high bar of like that finally shocked me. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is really... This is really where we're at. It was like, it's like, it's always like a tie between him and whenever Nikki Haley does her honey boo boo accent at the UN. Oh and I'm God. like, I cannot believe like this is where we're at. Like, this is crazy. I know. Well, but the real creepy news this week is that the president, Ivanka's father, is um, trying to get all of our voter information right on his phone, unprotected for free. Totally. And then and then also being like, um, you know, in certain states, they're sending paperwork asking people who are registered to vote to, like, quote, confirm their voter status. And if you don't return the form, you'll be purged from the rolls. Like all of this stuff that is active voter suppression, like it's in Merriam-Webster's dictionary under voter suppression. Like that's what that's what all of these things going on now are. And so basically, 
last week when we were all like buying barbecue supplies and are like already looking forward to a long weekend. Chris Kobach, who is the Kansas Secretary of State and also the vice fraud, <laughs> fraud, <laughs> and also the vice chairman of the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity, sent a letter to every state's Secretary of State requesting personal information on every registered voter. Here's what personal information means. Your name, your party ID, your address, the last four of your social, everything about you. Like all of the things that like make somebody be able to uh, identity like thieve you. Like that's basically what they're requesting. Yeah, the real national holiday was identity thieves celebrating that the that this administration has made their lives so much easier with this letter requesting all this personal information. Secretaries of state are not really having it. Many of them are like, what the hell? Yeah, well, it's actually a little worse than that, right? Because here's the problem. Trump made this like election integrity commission under the guise that like 3 million people illegally voted in the last election that he won in still somehow. So I don't know how this is a problem. Almost every secretary of state in the country has confirmed that large scale voter fraud like this did not happen. Yeah, several independent reports have said that. Yeah. The administration has like pushed through with this election integrity commission. Here are like multiple evils that are happening. So you have said that um, 40, what is it? Yeah, 41 states so far have declined to comply with this request because it's an insane invasion of privacy. Also, the request came over like an unsecure email. It was basically like an SMS that was like, hey, can you send over those files right here? Like put them in the cloud. Yeah, this is like everybody can steal them. The federal government fishing every secretary of state in America. (laughs) Exactly. This is the same president that like keeps railing on about um, emails that Hillary Clinton, like like the emails that she used to put the whole country at risk. I'm going to put that aside for a while. But the fact that, like, 41 states have declined this request, to me, say, like, two things. At the most, like, generous, it means that, like, Chris Kobach, who is in charge of election integrity and a secretary of state himself, knew that these requests would be turned down because he had, like, done his homework. Yeah. And all they're doing is, like, setting us up for a showdown where it's a no-win solution. Because now the president has tweeted, what are these states hiding? Mm -hmm. Which just, like, furthers the the conspiracy. But here's the other thing. It is also like very possible that these fucking idiots on the election integrity commission didn't once check to see what the requirements were for every state and were really caught like flat-footed and by surprise about the fact that like their requests cannot be granted. Mm-hmm. Either way, it does not bode well for the country or for any of us. Yeah, I mean, and this also comes on the heels of I mean, what's so infuriating about this is it advances you know, this reverse narrative about like illegal voting. I'm like, I'm air quoting. I know you can't see it because this is a podcast. When in fact, Girl, I can, I can <laughs> feel it. <laughs> when, when in fact, like there are millions of people, like actually millions uh, who were eligible to vote in 2016, but could not do so because of all of these newly enacted barriers to voting, most of them in states with Republican governors and state legislatures. So laws that disproportionately target students, poor people, people of color, you know, obviously people who uh, are not in the core Republican voting demographic um, mm-hmm. and New making immigrants. it impossible for them to cast a vote already. And so it's like, this is when I start to get like real like dystopia chills where it's like, okay, wow, there is actually a real problem with 
voting in this country, but the problem is voter suppression, not people signing up to vote illegally. This idea of like right is left, black is white, like like reverse policy, really, it really starts to no, freak I me mean, out. And it is, it's both like terrifying and infuriating because they know exactly what they're doing. There was like one party in this country that is hell-bent on getting the fewest number of people to be eligible to vote at all times. Right. Like if you look at some of the like crazy stories of like the people that Chris Kobach has gone after and prosecuted for like so-called voter fraud issues, they're they're horrifying. It was like one was like an honest to God like mistake where this couple, one the the woman, they had just moved. They moved across the state line. The husband didn't realize that they had moved. He mailed in their ballots. Then she ended up voting. They like caught it really early on. She apologized. Everybody knew what happened. He went after her to make a point. And uh, the entire thing gets up like being thrown out. And he just like used her as an example. Because she was a woman from a like underrepresented minority. Also, like these things are like really, really, really rare. Secretaries of state actually like are really good Uh, about, like, sharing information with each other. They do, like, cross-checking. Like, all of that stuff happens. If there was, like, wide-scale voter fraud going on, we would know about it. Yeah. It is just not true. And it's a meme that the right keeps pushing and everybody buys into because they think that there is something wrong about, like, people of color and uh, and people who are like naturalized immigrants voting, and it's really it's really terrifying and infuriating. And so, on top of that request, there's now a request to start purging people off of the voter roll. So you get a letter in the mail that says that you need to like check your registration. You have 30 days to do so, otherwise you come off of the rolls. Guess who misses those kinds of letters? Almost everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a tried and true strategy because. Look at the state of Wisconsin, which Ivanka's dad won by less than 30,000 votes. So, you know, drop in the electoral bucket. And according to the state's own records, there are 10 times that many eligible voters in the state who did not have like what is now considered to be a proper ID in Wisconsin and so may have been disenfranchised. This is like based on a 2011 law in Wisconsin that a federal court said is unconstitutional because it burdens low-income people of color and yet it still went into effect for the 2016 election. And we know what happened. The state of Wisconsin went for Ivanka's dad and a bunch of people couldn't vote. And it's like it's like watching this repeated and essentially go unchallenged, right? Like, I mean, what are the thing that frustrates me about this is because it is, um, and maybe maybe you know about this. Maybe I am just like, you know, when it comes to my own my only recourse of like, who am I writing letters to about this? Like, what am I doing aside from directly petitioning the Secretary of State to not purge voters? What are our like citizen level recourse to say like, we want more people voting, not fewer? Well, one of the really basic things that you could do is to follow groups like the National Democratic Redistricting Committee that's uh, chaired by our former Attorney General, Eric Holder. And what they're doing is building a targeted state-by-state strategy so that Democrats can produce fair redistricting maps in the process. The idea being that better district leadership means that like elected officials won't purge voters from the rolls. Is that like the long game idea behind this? That's the long game, but that's also the game that's going to take like 1,000 years, you know, to produce. That's not a next election thing. But I think that the other thing that it like challenges kind of every single one of us to do is to really look on the most basic local level of where you live. And is everybody on your block who is eligible to vote? Like, are they 
are they registered to vote? Is everybody in your community registered to vote? And what are you doing to make sure that like underrepresented minorities and women and like naturalized immigrants in like near you are are there, you know? And I think that that's something that should happen on a volunteer basis and it should happen outside of election time <laughs> because yes. you like, you know, constant vigilance is the name of this game. Yeah. And, you know, I've been, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, I've been thinking about the fact that at least in my corner of California, it's possible to sign up to vote by mail for all elections, which like I know is not a perfect solution all of the time. But I think like for me, and I don't even have a kind of like hourly wage job that makes it truly prohibitive to get to the polls. But like it makes it a lot easier for me to cast my vote when it comes automatically in the mail. And I I have thought about before how many friends I've talked to here who don't know that you can say sign up to vote in every local election by mail. Um, Things that traditionally have a really low turnout, making it just like that much easier on people in your community who might struggle to get to a polling place like multiple times a year, because like that's how often, at least in my district, there are um, elections at every level. And so I think, you know, thinking too about knowing a little bit more about how people in your area can register to vote and like actually cast their vote um, is is part of this game as well. And like, yeah, like we, you're you're so right that we can all get better about that. Like saying like, oh, are my neighbors voting? Can they vote? Right. How like can is I the make guy that? at your bodega registered to vote? Is there like all of the people that I'm gentrifying in my neighborhood? Like, are they registered to vote? Like that is the thing that you can do on an individual level that is a lot of change. But on a systemic level, it's also like challenging all of the people in power that have opportunities to do that. So it's like I talked about that one organization. There's also Let America Vote that launched this year and they do a lot to fight voter suppression in courts, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's also really important because the, like the voter, the photo ID requirements that we have like cut to the core of disenfranchising a lot of people. What is it going to take so that like, we don't have to vote on a Tuesday and also that every single person that's eligible is automatically registered to vote. I think it's in Oregon that they have that and they have like really high turnout. Right. And and I think also, like I was saying, I think about a lot in my area, like, do you really need to have three different municipal elections every year? Like, can we collapse these into like one vote so that it's not such a burden on people who want to be engaged citizens to turn up and cast a ballot? You know, it's some of it is structural in other ways. Like, even if you're not intending to suppress a vote, the fact that the mentality is not how do we maximize turnout? The mentality is just like, you know, what can be what can be easiest on the government or the people already in power? Voter suppression is a very, very dirty game. And honestly, is like probably the number one reason that Democrats lose so many elections. Well, that and the lack of message <laughs> lose as many elections as they do. But yeah. like it's it is it's really terrifying when you think about the fact that like it is like it's just this like shadow war that's been going on for so long and so few people are like activated to do something around it right and yeah that it takes something like this flim flam presidency and this like sham commission to like put everybody's like both your all of your information at risk and also deter so many more people from voting Yeah. And like just realizing the scope of the problem, like the fact that this goes back many, many elections. And so it's going to require a like a long game solution as well. Like everything. I hate I hate to be a broken record about that, but it's so true. Mm, It's going to take a long time to unfuck this. (laughs) Listen, always be playing the long game. 
Do you want to hear some good political news? Always. Though? I'm dying for it. From a country where they're perpetually trying to unfuck their politics. I was looking at this really cool Irish campaign. Hashtag more women. More women, please. That's basically run by this group called Women for Election. It's a nonpartisan group that is set up basically to train women to run for office. And they had a huge crowdfunding campaign this weekend and raised tens of thousands of euros, which like doesn't seem like a lot considering that we like need so many more women in politics. But I like the internet chatter about this campaign was really cool. And it made me feel like, oh, everybody is like doing their part. And like, this is a global issue and it's like getting better. In that like, it looks like there might, they might actually get some women on the ballot. Yeah, they like raise their money. People are super enthusiastic about it. I've never given money so fast to something that I like have no stakes in. Mainly because, like, the perks were so good <laughs> for the crowdfunding campaign. But also, it was like, yes, like, get women elected to office. So this is really cool. And they're, like, basically committed to having 50% representation in their cabinet. 50% women in the cabinet. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for, like, setting quotas and goals to fight gender imbalance. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I also love this website has a form where you can invite a woman to run. I am now, like, thinking about all the Irish women I know that, like, need to run. I love a form that's like a nudge to, you know, a woman who you and I or, you know, the nominator knows will be an incredible force for change in government. Just saying like, I see you, you know, maybe not this year, maybe not right now, but I see you. I love that that's a part of this as well. 100%. And they have a nice big fat donate button on their page. So you can go to womenforelection.ie. And if you want to see more women represented in cabinet and at all levels of politics, you know what to do. Oh, yes. I was just telling you that, like, my house is a mess because I, like, potted plants and now, ugh, I'm just like one of those people that like I like going to the beach, but I hate sand. I like plants, but I hate soil. So like those are the feelings I'm dealing with right now. Oh, my God. Speaking of gender and domestic work, did you read this article about cooking and like meal kits and all of that in The New York Times? Uh, did I ever? I think we both have lots of feelings about this. I think we should also probably say up front that... Meal kit companies have sponsored this podcast in the past and will probably in the future as well. So we're yeah, meal kit companies are big into the podcast space. If you have not, if you have not noticed, so use your own critical listening skills. Like now that we have acknowledged that, <laughs> as we discuss exactly. this, but I mean personally, I I don't think that that affects my opinion of this op-ed. But maybe maybe you can summarize it. Okay, so the op-ed is written by a chef based here in the United States of Brooklyn, Amanda Cohen, who writes that basically the the title of the op-ed is You Don't Need Blue Apron to Teach You to Turn On Your Oven. And again, like disclaimer, Blue Apron specifically has advertised on this show, but that's not what this is about. And, you know, she like writes about like her own professional opinion as like a chef and as a writer about how people have basically like lost touch with like learning how to cook. We don't pass down recipes from generations anymore. 
you like don't know how to make your grandma's frittata or whatever the thing is that like your grandma made and how like meal kits basically don't teach you how to cook they just teach you how to follow that specific recipe and i don't know is that fair is that a fair yeah i think that's a fair representation yeah and i don't know it like left me feeling very salty lol for many reasons you and i are both like pretty decent cooks we know how to cook things that like don't require recipes we have recipes that are kind of like always in our head and we're also like pretty adventurous cooks. Yeah. We're like we like we know how to make a thing without having to look up like ten thousand things to like make it. Like we we are women who cook. Kitchen freestylers, as I like to say. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know, there was so, so many things about this op-ed like rubbed me the wrong way. There was something like very condescending about it. You know, like like this person specifically admits that like they order seamless all the time, but somehow like <laughs> because like they cook for work. So when they come home, they'll eat seamless. But somehow, like, you're a dummy for, like, not knowing how to cook. Red flag number one. Red flag number two, like, I don't care what gets people cooking. I think that it's important for people to know how to cook for, like, many reasons. Like, one of them being that it's, like, less expensive than eating out, for sure. But I don't have any of that nostalgia of, like, I have my, like, great-grandmother's, like, Parmesan recipe or whatever. Because so much of it... So much of that kind of sentiment is tied into like gendered bullshit, like women are expected to cook things. You know what I mean? Yeah, your greatest legacy will be the, you know, cherry pie recipe you passed down or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like, there, to, to be fair, like men cooks also have these like stories, but I think that there's something so performatively like gendered and like classist about this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But also, like, it's just the shitting on people who cook. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, the whole problem with cooking, honestly, is not meal kits or whatever. It's just that, like, there's not enough time in the day. We don't all have wives. Like, this is what everybody wants. Everybody wants a wife where you, like, come home and there's, like, a beautiful meal laid out for you. Like, you want a wife. I want a wife. Terrible people want wives. Everybody wants a wife. But the truth is that, like, we don't have wives because we're our own wives. <laughs> and there's not enough time in the day to, like, make all of these meals. So as far as I'm concerned, whatever gets people cooking, gets people cooking. Now, when it comes to like the technical aspects of cooking, I think that it's whatever makes you feel like, whatever makes you feel good and makes you feel okay about knowing your way. Like, yes, some people have to do that like very precise. Like if you don't tell them exactly how many peas go into the thing, they freak out. That is totally fine. It's totally okay that some people cook that way. And also, I don't know that you get to be a freestyle cook if you, like, didn't know how to follow recipes once upon a time. Like, that's the next level of cooking. Yeah, and I think that, for me, the line where I really, this writer really lost me was, quote, to me, meal kits sound like cheating, not cooking. And I was just, that's where I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is a whole legacy as well of, like, blaming women in particular, blaming their choices to like not spend as much time on domestic tasks for like other social ills. And I'm like, you know, as you pointed out very early on, the problem is capitalism. The problem is not enough hours in the day. And the idea of like venerating a from scratch model. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really delightful. It's kind of how like at a certain income level, 
all cooks are like hobbyist cooks. Like you don't just cook to eat. It's like you're a foodie or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. it's because you have enough time at that point. And I don't know. Right. And it's like also like look at the people who get like celebrated for being chefs. Like a lot of them are men. I I don't believe that like men are the lion's share of cooks out there. Exactly. And there have been a lot of studies about how when it is a meal that is something that is for more praise, you know, for example, like my grandfather would always make like pizza for the family on the weekend or would like fry some chicken for the family on the weekend. But when it came to who's getting the job done on a weeknight, it was like my grandma who did that work, you know? And and I think that there's something too where this idea of being like there are meal kit cooks and then there's like everyone else who's doing it the old fashioned way is wrong. Anyone I know who has ever tried one of these meal kit services is someone who knows how to make at least a few things for themselves without a recipe or with a different cookbook or something. I mean, it's like, it's very weird to think of it as like an either or proposition. Yeah, it's like definitely like the argument also of like uh, people who are like getting the recipes from the box, like they don't have recipes passed down. I'm like, I'm sorry, then what the fuck are you doing with your grandma's recipe if you're still reading from it every single time you cook? Like, that's the same thing. Yeah. So, like, that nostalgia is really weird to me. There's There are really pointed critiques of, like, meal kits and the environmental, like, mm-hmm. footprint that they have. And oh, the labor chain. How much, exactly. Like, the, the food labor chain that is, like, really problematic. That's something that you should think about. Also, like, how much money they cost and the kind of, like, upfront investment mm-hmm. that you have to have. And as somebody who, like, cooks for meal kits, here's what I will say in praise of the meal kit is that, like, It has forced me to eat things that I would never eat before. I have enjoyed the discovery aspect of it. But I think that, like, you can be an accomplished cook or, like, somebody who is comfortable at your own cooking skills and then still do a meal kit if that, like, works financially for you. You know, and and the other thing that I read in this, too, is, like, there is probably some startup to be done that is more about a long-game approach to learning to cook, which is, like, to say that it is about building a pantry. It's about, like, knowing how to use a variety of food from a shopping trip to make several different meals. Like, some of those skills. Exactly. Or, like, learning, like, actual techniques, which I will say I've also learned in meal kits. It's like, oh, like, this is what Julianne is or whatever. I get this whole aspect of, like, the meal kit is the training wheels. You have to learn how to ride. But there's no reason that the meal kit's not the thing that teaches you how to do that. Like, it's very strange to focus on having this, like, technical capability that you then shame people for, like, getting skills to do. Yeah. I mean, when I think about the things that taught me to cook in the dark ages before meal kits, LOL, you know, (laughs) the Deborah Madison Vegetarian Cooking for Everyone, I think that's what it's called, book, which was, is very simple. It has, like, very basic recipes. But I followed those recipes in order to learn how to cook and then eventually, like, lost that book in a move and don't need it anymore. But, like, in in college, it was a Bible for me. You know what I mean? I guess what makes for a good op-ed, right? Like, a really, like, extreme argument. But at the same time, every time there's something about, like, the right way to do things domestically being the thing that takes more time. I see this glaring gender undertone that is often not addressed up front. Yeah. And also just like, you know, I don't know. It's it's like it's also like very snooty. It's like my mom was really big about like having us in the kitchen cooking with her, which is definitely well, my sister and I at least, <laughs> which is like ding ding ding. Own, like, there you yeah, go. Which is like yeah. definitely its own like gender thing. It's like, yeah, African girls need to know how to cook, like for sure. That was, like, the dark side of that. But the positive side of that is that, like, oh, I know how to take care of myself. It's, like, all of the posi sides of patriarchy 
are that like you know how to make your own curtains and cook it's like thank god when the economy goes lean but at the same time it's like i think about like a lot of the french food that we made and like the french like cooking bible is the la rousse gastronomique and that book is like legit 1200 pages it teaches you everything about every you know what i mean it's like in America, it'd be considered, like, a snooty people cook French food. But, like, for people who eat French food, like, this is the book that, like, we all read to learn how to cook. And it is so technical. And the whole point of the reason why you basically need, like, a cooking encyclopedia is because, like, you don't know everything. And it's okay to, like, re- have, like, reference material for, like, oh, I have a mango. What do I do with it? I have a steak. Like, here are the 10,000 ways that you can cook that. There's no shame in like having to constantly learn and not having the stuff like being able to just be like Martha Stewart out the gate. How do we make everybody cook? But then when you create like all of these barriers, I don't know that like that's how like that's how we win that war. It's true. So and it's fun- it was funny to talk about this because on your recommendation, I've been reading Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat yes the best book it's so good okay Samina's is an amazing writer but it's also it feels for me like I'm leveling up in terms of like like I say I, f- I feel pretty good about my kitchen freestyle skills but it is a book where it's like okay you already know how to cook from a recipe what happens when you let go of that and it's like it's very clear that all of this stuff exists on a spectrum and like And also, I don't know, like, you don't know what everyone's home life was like growing up. The idea that, like, oh, yes, like, it's supposed to go a certain way. There are lots of resources, meal kits being one among them, but, like, cookbooks being one among them. Or, like, recipe websites. How many things did I learn to make from Smitten Kitchen? A ton. You know? I know. Like, you you really solidified my, like, cooking resume with, like, so many Smitten Kitchen recommendations. I feel like my entire lunches are based from that. Like, the thing I like so much about Samin and Wendy's book is that is also they just break down the actual, like, scientific components of what cooking is. And you're like, oh, this is what emulsion is. This is what fat does. This is what salt does. And then you are comfortable around the kitchen because you understand what, like, everything in its basic component is. It's true. So, But at the same time, for me, it's like, whatever gets you in the kitchen, like, I don't care if it's a meal kit or if it's, like, trying to impress your new boo or it is, like trying to compete on Top Chef. At the end of the day, like, the more people know how to cook, men and women, the better it is for everyone. Do you remember we had a joke in the early days of meal kits about men, and they were almost exclusively men, Instagramming the dinners they made that were clearly meal kit dinners, but being like, look at the meal I made and how good it is. And it's like, you know what? Like, we were laughing because we were like, we see you starting at zero and bragging about it. But also I'm like, at least they're starting at zero, you know? I know. I like, that that makes me so happy. It's like, be a little less judgmental and like, whatever it takes to get like this country cooking, my God. And also, like, if you don't want to cook, that's also okay. Because I think that there's so much personal failure that's, especially, like, for women, that is associated with, like, not being domestic in any way, shape, or form. Like, if you are messy or you don't know how to cook or you, like, I don't know, like, you don't clean or whatever, it is seen as this, like, ginormous failure in a way that is just, like, it's just, like, not fair. Yeah. So... 
what don't we do as a society? We've like weaponized like domestic arts. That's insane. I know. We didn't. Let's be clear. We didn't weaponize domestic arts. The patriarchy weaponized domestic <laughs> the patriarchy arts. patriarchy weaponized domestic arts. But like how crazy, right? I know. It's like, I know. You can't win. It's like 2017 and you have to act like you're a 1950s housewife, but also like a 2017 down trick all at the same time. You can't operate on all these levels. All of the levels is what is, what is expected, right? Like I'm not like other cooks. I'm a chill cook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. else is going on well a lot of people have tweeted me about this and i don't know how i feel about it yet about the like current like black china and rob drama oh my god it is it is messy 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 let's be real by the time that this airs it is like quite possible that we will be in a new part of the drama clearly like rob is not well that has been like a kardashian truth for a long time he needs like a mental health intervention and help and, like, his sisters and his mom have been trying on the show for a long time. It's not happening. Two, somebody needs to take all of his keyboards away. Because, like, when he spirals, it just goes to a bad place. At the same time, Black China has, like, accused him of hitting her. And that is something that is, like, really serious and not okay. And then the other thing, too, is that, like, in his, like, outburst today, he's basically engaging in revenge porn. Yeah, back up and, and start with, like, what Ugh. is going on? Because, okay, so they are they are split up. Rob Kardashian, erstwhile sock designer Rob Kardashian, and what is the tea called? Flat tummy tea? Mm-hmm. Tummy tea? Flat tummy flat tea? Flat tummy spokesperson. Uh, <laughs> flat tummy empresario, Black China, <laughs> have a child together, dream Kardashian. And they've been on and off. It's like really unclear if they were on or off before today's outburst. And there have been like many outbursts since the last time we checked in on them. Um, So like they're on and off. Who knows if they were on. Today, I was just trying to do work like the rest of America on a day after a holiday. And like all of that was put to like a startling halt when Rob Instagrammed all of these private photos that China had sent him and also a video of her like making out with somebody else, I believe. And that's called revenge porn. (laughs) Yes, all of that is called revenge porn. California has like really strong laws against it. And he was like basically like airing her out. Everything from she's cheating on him, how he spent $100,000 on, I'm doing really big air quotes here because I'm quoting him, body surgery for her. Mm. Which like, this is hilarious for many reasons. Like plastic surgery is expensive. It's not that expensive. Even like Kardashian plastic surgery probably is seriously not that expensive because they would like get a lot of stuff for free, like for exposure. So I'm choosing to believe that China spent $2,000 on her titties and then pocketed the rest. Mm. Which is like amazing move. And then he's like complaining about how he spent like a million dollars on her and he paid for all of it. I'm going to pause right here and tell you that like, so Rob is a sock designer. Erstwhile. (laughs) Erstwhile. There's no evidence that Rob has sold a single sock. And (laughs) if you watch the show, you know that his mom like and the money manager like cut him like checks all of the time. 
You know, like, Rob actually is a great person to kind of understand, like, where modern, like, toxic masculinity is at right now. Your sisters and your mom work really hard, and you sit at home, like, eating hamburgers and, like, doxing your girlfriend on the internet. It's kind of, it's insane. Yeah, he's actually that guy in his mom's basement. He really is. Mm -hmm. It's insane. And he's done this with, like, previous girlfriends. He did it with Adrian Bailon. He did it with Rita Ora, notable who's. But, like, this is, like, kind of insane. It's also insane to me that, like, these people have a child together who will, like, grow up to read all of this one day. You would think that that would be, like, the number one, like, antidote to people just, like, being on their best behavior is the fact that now there's a record of how crazy they are for their children to see. But, like, that's not what's going on. I know. Just picture Baby Dream listening to Daddy Issues on her headphones. Like, oh, my God. But you know what? There are some, like, clear winners in all of this. <laughs> one of the guys that, like, China is allegedly hooking up with posted a picture like has a picture of himself and Rob got mad about it because he was like that's my robe that's the bed we invented our baby in and this guy is like in Rob's alleged robe with like looking so unbothered and happy and I was like this is how I want to be the rest of my life just like this unbothered completely 100% everybody else it's like very dark I hope like Chris gets to his phone and his internet but also like this is really not okay. There's nothing funny about revenge porn. There's nothing funny about like somebody having a mental health breakdown. And probably by Friday, he'll do like the same thing that he does all the time, which is like a, I'm so sorry. China and I talked about it. I love my baby. Everything is okay. And like everything is not okay. Right. Not at all. This was too dark. It's like usually I'm really up for Kardashian antics, but like this is... This is this is dark shit. I mean, it's often, though, not on a level of, like, you know, committing a really, like, gendered crime that, or, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like antics is not the right word for this situation, which is why it's upsetting. That's not the correct description. Yeah, it's 100% a crime. And it's so interesting, too, to see all of it because people have, like, very clear, the reason that, like, Black China is not as sympathetic, like, she's not sympathetic to the public is because people already believe that she's a gold digger. You know what I mean? And so, like, this is why when he's, like, when she says that he hit her, it's not bigger news. And, like, that's so disgusting that that's the reaction to it. Or, like, the fact that people are like, oh, Rob, like, you deserve this is coming to you. And it's like, no, no. These two are in a toxic relationship. Crimes are being committed here. And we are all along for the ride. And it's such a mindfuck. Is this just, like, I mean, I, I forget who wrote that piece I mean, maybe there have been a couple actually about things getting not just reality TV real, but like very, very difficult and dark in Kardashian world like over the past year. This feels like an extension of that. It's not drama over I a business. I have not read that, but it, but I mean, it's true. Ever, I have been like very Kardashian detached since Kim got robbed in Paris. Kim, I'm so glad you're okay. It is, it is like dark. It's dark, but also like... Usually we all go to reality TV kind of to unplug from it's the antidote to what's going on. But it's like when the reality TV is dark and then your actual real life is dark. It's like, what do we have left? Mm, it's difficult it's timing. Just like, it's just crazy. But it's also like really hard to see somebody like go through such a very public breakdown. Like this is not like he's not OK. And it's like you can either be implicated by like being along for the ride or you can disengage, but like, you know, you're going to be exposed to it no matter what. But then you also like wonder behind the scenes, like, what the fuck are they doing to stop this? This is not okay. 
And of course, there's also the like, is everyone not intervening in a strong enough way because this is like good for ratings or it keeps certain names in the news? I mean, there is a part of me where it's like, this is really bad for multiple parties in terms of actual consequences. But like, you can't ignore the fact that this is like, oh, Kardashians, the name is on TMZ. Like this is, I don't know. Like it doesn't, the whole thing makes I know, me feel but it's icky. Like th- but this has like, yeah, this has like diminishing returns. Like I never believe, oh my God, Chris is letting all of this happen for like fame reasons. Because one, they're already too famous. Like this is the point where this hurts your pocket. And also on the show, they've like dealt with a lot of like Rob's issues already. And so this is just like an escalation of all of the other shit that he's going through. Mostly for me, it's just like, it's just like hard to watch how like there is a class of celebrity, well, celebrity is the wrong word, like famous people who use their social media to fight with each other. This happens a lot around reality TV, like T.I. and his wife did it and a couple of other people. And I'm just like, what do you have to gain from like having the audience like arbitrate? Like this is your actual real life. Like you people are getting real life divorces. You're having like real ass kids. And all of the stuff and you like and you're using like social media to mediate, not to use this word again, like weaponize your relationships with each other. And it's just like it's very it's dark. That's the only thing I can think of. Mm. It's so dark. I would very much like to be excluded from this narrative. Yeah, I mean, I would also very much like Kim to say that like this is not okay behavior. I would like the family to also use the platform to say that like revenge porn is not okay and domestic violence is not okay. Yeah, especially because, like, Kim was a victim of revenge porn as well. Mm -hmm. Like, this is this is crazy. I mean, and what I was saying about, like, the toxic masculinity thing and Rob, it's like it's so apparent, right? It's like him for him to, like, shit on somebody for having plastic surgery when his sisters are like products of plastic surgery is crazy. Yep. And also, yeah, and also you can see how all of his resentment around, like, just having, like, very accomplished, like, his sisters, like, just being more successful than him is, like, making him lash out in all these ways. If you had 10 jobs like Kylie, probably you would not be on Instagram, like, airing out your baby mama. Ooh, yeah, it's true. Dark shit, dark shit, dark shit. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. See you on the internet. <laughs> See you on the internet. <laughs>